Miss Davis, ever since I've been on this set, I've heard nothing but discussion of Eve. May I have your opinion of her? The golden girl, the cover girl, the girl next door, the girl on the moon. Time's been very good to Eve. Life goes where she goes. She's been profiled, covered, revealed, reported. What she wears and where and when, whom she knows, and where she was and when and where she's going. Eve has insatiable ambition and talent. An improbable person with a contempt for humanity, an inability to love or be loved. It's ticklish business any way you look at it. Come on, we'll stick together. Hello, everyone, and welcome to Ticklish Business. I'm Samantha Richardson, joined by co-host Emily Edwards. How are you, Emily? I am so good. This is a fun one, and congrats on the new name and the marriage. Yay! Thank you. This is a big movie we're talking about, too, so I'm so thrilled. We're without our fearless leader, Kristen Lopez, today, but we have a very dynamic guest here with us to talk all about all about Eve. She's Sloane DeForest, talented classic film historian and author who has penned three books for Running Press, along with Turner Classic Movies, Dynamic Dames, 50 Leading Ladies Who Made History, Must See Sci-Fi, 50 Movies That Are Out of This World, and most recently, Essential Directors, The Art and Impact of Cinema's Most Influential Filmmakers. How are you, Sloane? I'm doing swell, ladies. Thanks for having me here to discuss one of my favorites, All About Eve. Yeah, and Allie, how are you? I'm doing great. I'm very excited to be able to join the podcast. I've been such a fan for so long. Yeah, so exciting. We're talking all about Eve today. This is a big one. But before we talk about that, We'd like to briefly remind everyone that if you haven't checked out our Patreon at patreon.com slash ticklishbiz, you should. We do additional bonus pods, including doubled features looking at remakes and based on a true podcast looking at biopics and true crime. Our newest series is a podcast continuation of Kristen Lopez's hit book, Have You Read the Book?, where Patreon subscribers can listen to Kristen discuss even more literary adaptations with Emily Edwards. Some great novels and films will be discussed like Anna Karenina and more, so don't miss it. We also give out regular care packages of movies and gifts and let you guest on an episode. That's all at patreon.com slash ticklishbiz. And don't forget to order Kristen's book, but have you read the book, 52 Literary Gems That Inspired Our Favorite Movies, and the newest installment in Emily's Girl Friday series, Viviana Valentine and the Ticking Clock. You can also find exclusive art inspired by our podcast episodes over at our Redbubble store. Now back to the show. (laughs) That was a lot. That was a lot. We got a lot. All about Eve. I would like to assume that everyone who is listening to the show knows All About Eve, has seen All About Eve. But if you're not familiar, it's all about Eve Harrington, who's played by Ann Baxter, who just celebrated her centennial last year. She's a super fan of stage star Margot Channing, played infamously by Betty Davis. Eve has seen every performance of Margot's newest play, and the playwright's wife is so touched by this that she introduces Eve to Margot backstage. The two become friends, and Eve starts to insert herself more and more into Margot's life, both personally and professionally. So I'll just start with the basic question. What's everyone's experience with this film? I'd love to hear what your first viewing was, what you thought, what your takeaway was. Let's go down the line. Let's start with Emily. Oh, goodness. No, Normally, I come to these fresh as a newborn babe, having never seen the movie before. But obviously, I am a huge fan of women in comedy. It's a perfect introduction to this 
spectacular, cinematic, almost cat fight that happens. And everybody in this movie is perfectly cast and they hold no punches. And it's just one of my favorite movies of all time. I love that energy. What about you, Sloan? Well, I remember first seeing All About Eve back when I was about probably around 19, maybe 20. And I recorded it off regular TV. Yes, folks, they used to broadcast classic movies on regular old broadcast television, often at midnight or two in the morning. I set my VCR and recorded it, commercials and all, which I would fast forward past. And I watched that VHS tape over and over and over again, memorizing this fabulous dialogue and reciting it to everybody in an insufferable manner and forcing my friends and family to watch the film. I was an aspiring actress at that point. So you can imagine it really resonated with me. And I was a word person, totally in my element with this one. I love that. What about you, Allie? Yeah, I'm going to echo a lot of what's already been said. I've seen this movie many times. It is one of my favorites. Can't beat Betty Davis at her theatrical, over-the-top best. It is expertly written, cast perfectly down to even the smallest part. Marilyn Monroe was luminously beautiful and perfect as an up-and-coming actress, as an up-and-coming actress. I have to admit, I come at this film from a little bit of a contrarian angle. I love so many people in this film. I'm a massive George Sanders fan, probably one of the biggest. Marilyn, of course. I love Celeste Holm. I love Ann Baxter. I have had a long history, as some people from this podcast may know, about my dislike of Betty Davis. It's been an ebb and flow, we'll say. I've probably seen about 30 almost Betty Davis movies at this point. So it's not like I didn't give her a chance. The one thing that I will say is the more I watch of her, the more I appreciate her. I definitely appreciate her appreciation for a good script. I read all about the history of how she used to butcher some of the other scripts, snip them insert things herself. But this one, she did nothing to because she knew that it could stand on its own. This is a great example of just what women could do past the age of 30. (laughs) Just for 1950, the fact that they were willing to put this movie forward with her front and center and to talk about something like aging, not really on screen, but on stage and they're showing it on screen. It just really tackles so many issues that I don't think have really been talked about too much in a picture, much less a woman's picture, as one might call this movie. Yeah. While we're being contrarians, I will go ahead and get it out of the way and bring up my bone to pick with this movie, which is it's note perfect in every way, wouldn't change a thing, except I cringe when Margot says that without a man, a woman is not a woman and is nothing. That is her core defining characteristic is that she, Margot Channing, great star of stage, defines herself by having a man by her side. Now, if she had said, my deepest, fondest wish is to be with Bill, be Bill's wife for the rest of my life, I would have no issue with that. She loves this man. She's had her success. She's had her day in the sun. She wants to just be a wife. Great. But it bothers me that she expands it. Joseph L. Mankiewicz has her expand it to all women. All women are nothing if we don't have a husband. That's pretty much what she says. That hits a false note with a lot of women. And if it had been a woman screenwriter, they probably wouldn't have put that perspective in it. But this is from the viewpoint of a man. He gets everything else really 
right, though. I don't know what you ladies think. The entire existence of Marilyn's character is another really good example of she probably wouldn't have existed in this film if it was written by a woman, especially the line about go make him happy. That's such a man thing to rate and such a man thing to say. True. So I definitely echo those sentiments. I have as much of a problem with the Marilyn character because she does come across as a character that is there to play people. She's very knowingly going into that relationship of just saying, this is a tool that I have in my toolkit in order to get the job and the roles that I want. It's a little bit tongue in cheek of these guys know that they can be played like a fiddle by a woman as beautiful as Marilyn Monroe. But I will admit that if it was a female screenwriter, that wouldn't be there at all, or she would be even more knowledgeable about she doesn't need Addison DeWitt to tell her to go and right. do it. She would just know to do it herself. Allie, what do you think? I could agree with you about Marilyn since she provides a nice contrast to the Eve character who is secretly duplicitous, whereas Marilyn is very nakedly duplicitous. She is, I am going to charm this man for a role. Nobody's being snowed here. It's very clear that's what she's doing. Whereas Eve is pretending to be this meek fan who wouldn't dare <laughs> go on stage herself or try to undermine Margot in any way, try to steal her man, as it were. <laughs> and you also have that wonderful split second moment, just to beat on the Marilyn moment one more second, when she takes off her fur at the party and she does the Marilyn change, which I don't think we ever got to see on screen too many times of her because she always said that Marilyn was a character. And it's really interesting that in this movie, we get to watch her become the Marilyn character, just the way that she holds her head and the way that she holds her shoulders. And it's really fascinating. Yes, you're right. That's a great moment. She says, why do they always look like unhappy rabbits? <laughs> when she's talking about Max, and then she has this woebegone look on her face. And then Addison says, go and make him happy. And she throws off the coat and she shimmies over there. She just comes alive mm -hmm. in that moment. And it's great. And when Marilyn's on the screen, I love it because you can't look at anyone else, even Betty Davis and Ann Baxter. It's amazing. She just draws your attention and you know she's going to be a star if you had seen it at that moment. One of the things that I want to point out for sure is when we talk about this male written script about these women who desire these parts. Is it a good thing that these men are writing women who so badly desire these parts and want a career and want a place in society? Or is it a bad thing? And is he painting them all as these opportunistic women? That's a really interesting debate. Also, the fact that I find it really interesting, and I hate to say convenient, that Margot's beginning is left out. We don't know how she became a star. We don't know if she climbed her way to the top somehow. We just know that it, she is a star. I've always wondered about that because she hints when she's drunk at the big party scene that she had a hard scrabble background. And she says, I didn't go to Radcliffe like you, Karen. My father needed help behind the notions counter. I wonder how she did get to be such a great success. We're meant to deduce that she got there by talent and hard work, but we don't know. So interesting in the movie that they really point out the fact that Eve might be getting accolades that are not hers because she's mostly just mimicking Margot. There's such an underhanded aspect, obviously, through the machinations that she does and the buttering up of Karen and, and the men that are in the theater world. But she claims immediately that she can be the understudy because she's watched Margot do it so many times. I've really 
got the perspective that Eve didn't really have talent that was hers. She was conniving. She was ruthless, but the actual talent was way of presenting the words, a way of presenting the lines might've been Margot's plus. Margot with the addition of Eve swinging for the fences, but it was not necessarily her acting talent that we're supposed to believe that she is making this scene with. She's just a vessel. Yeah. It's funny you picked up on that, Emily, because that's exactly what Mary Orr suggests in the short story, The Wisdom of Eve. I don't know how many people out there have read it, but I did read it. It's a very short, short story. It's good, but it's just a kernel of what the whole movie would become. In the short story, that's exactly what she says, is that this young woman, Eve, gave this great performance But later, she didn't live up to this original promise of this performance because she was basically just mimicking Margot, who is called Margola Cranston in the short story. I can see why the first thing Joe Mankiewicz did is change her name to Margot Channing, which is much more befitting a Broadway star. Just hearing that sounds fascinating. Just the name change. Mankiewicz, he knew he had a hit on his hands. Yeah. He knew exactly what he was doing. And I talked earlier about how great it is that Betty got this opportunity in 1950 to play a part like this. But this is really just the perfect part for her at this period of her career. Definitely. And she has said that she credits Joe Mankiewicz with giving her a whole new career, with resurrecting her from the, I think she said, saving her from the brink of extinction, because that may be a bit exaggerated. She had done Beyond the Forest in 1949, is what people consider that was what killed her career. It's so schlocky, such a schlocky movie that it was an embarrassment, although now it's a cult classic. I don't hate it, but the reports are exaggerated of her having a string of terrible movies leading up to All About Eve. She really didn't. But she was floundering because she was aging. She was around the 40 mark. And what Hollywood does to women in their 40s is an ugly, horrible thing. Cast them aside. She did get a whole new career from it. But then it didn't lead to a lot of other great films in the realm of All About Eve. But it led to a better caliber of films and put her in a different direction over that hump of being 40 and having more mature roles that were still meaty. Yeah, I definitely get the feeling that in the late 40s, they were definitely trying to just fit her into the films that they already had. And then with a film like All About Eve, that it feels almost catered to her, they realized that that could be successful. There are so many films from that point forward. You've got Baby Jane, you've got The Cared Affair, some really great films that she did throughout the 50s, The Star. Those are all films that feel like they're written for her. Yeah, good point. She became Betty Davis rather than what Warner Brothers and Jack Warner were trying to shove her into what they already had on hand. It's a great lesson that I think 21st century producers could learn from as far as if you make a movie for an older woman starring an older woman, it might be successful. Yeah. Who could have ever imagined? But I have to talk about Ann Baxter too, because I'm just a massive, massive fan. I've always loved her from her films with Tyrone Power. You've got The Razor's Edge, Crash Dive, I love. She did win an Oscar for The Razor's Edge. She definitely deserved it. What do we think of the infamous Oscars race of 1950 with this film? I know the two biggest things to know are that it holds the record for the most Oscar nominations, or it's tied 
with 14. It's tied with Titanic and La La Land. But it also holds the record for the most female acting Oscar nominations for one film with four. Betty Davis, Ann Baxter, Celeste Holm, and Thelma Ritter, all very deserving, I have to say. What do we think? I know there's a whole Oscars curse, so to speak, if you put two women in the same category for the same film that neither one is going to win. But who should have won? Okay, I'll take it. I believe, I agree with you, Samantha, Ann Baxter is amazing in the film. And I mean, it seems obvious to say that, but it's really not because she doesn't get the credit she deserves. Ann Baxter and Betty Davis do the heavy dramatic lifting of this film. There's no doubt. Is the rest of the cast perfect? Absolutely. Celeste Holm is great. Thelma Ritter is magnificent. Everyone's great. But Betty Davis and Ann Baxter are doing the hard work. I wish that Fox had submitted Ann Baxter to the supporting actress category. Me too. That might have made a difference. And it's possible the votes wouldn't have been so split in three ways. And then we would have had Betty winning for Best Actress and, and also Ann Baxter taking home an Oscar. My favorite number one film of all time is Sunset Boulevard. And then Gloria Swanson still would have been upset, which she was anyway. I don't know. I don't know about Oscars. Someone else take a stab. I was going to say, Ali, Emily, you guys want to... Yeah, I think some of it is a matter of taste. Ann Baxter is definitely more understated. The character has a lot more nuance because she is playing with all these layers. She has to appear one way, but act like she's hiding something. It is different. And then Betty Davis is playing what everyone assumes Betty Davis is like in real life, for good or for bad, right? And it's theatrical. It's fun. It's fabulous. It's over the top. I also love Sunset Boulevard. Gloria Swanson is great in that. And I adore Judy Holiday. So you couldn't have gone wrong with how you played it. I don't know. It's interesting, though, to think about. What do you think, Emily? It's hard for me to compare Betty Davis and Gloria Swanson. Those two performances, which are just so canonical as far as classic cinema goes, it's so difficult. I can't make a value judgment. I would have been absolutely torn if I was voting at that time. There's no way I would be able to make a decision. So much of it just also always boils down to the politics and studio politics and things like that, too, and advertising. And it's always been that way. So it's just so difficult to make any sort of statement about the Oscars. I know. That's how I feel. People ask me about the Oscars and I'm like, don't even get me. My opinion doesn't count. So I have no idea what these people are thinking. I know. Now it's always like, who's hiring which publicist? And then I might be able to tell you. But other than that... Wow, that's true. A lot of it is about campaigning and it's art. It's like comparing apples to oranges. I always preface by saying that it's just so fun to discuss, though. I will say, of course, the 1950 Best Actress race was insane. We have both Anne Baxter and Betty Davis trying to compete in the lead, which, as Sloan mentioned, probably shouldn't have happened. We have both of them in there anyway. We also have Eleanor Parker for Caged, which we haven't mentioned. I'm not an Eleanor Parker fan at all. She was really boring. But Caged is an exception. I've seen that and it's an exception. It's a really good movie. Probably the best women's prison movie other than if you count the snake pit. But it's kind of in the same vein, just without the Agree. Caged is great. <laughs> Who else was up? Judy Holiday. Yeah, Judy Holiday for Born Yesterday. I was about to say, in my opinion, I, Judy deserves it. Yeah. I love Born Yesterday. That's probably a favorite for me. 
And I'm also very biased because I'm not really a Betty Davis fan. Also, Judy Holiday originated that part on the stage. And so she really made that role. She carved it into her own. I have no quarrel with Judy Holiday getting the Oscar. As Ali pointed out, you could go any way on that. It would have been fine, but it is hard. It's really hard to contrast and compare Gloria Swanson and Sunset Boulevard with Betty Davis and All About Eve. It's so interesting that those two films about aging actresses came out in the same year, and they're both such great films that stand the test of time. But Gloria Swanson, on the surface, you might say, well, Betty Davis, because yes, her performance was over the top and theatrical in some ways, but in her quiet moments when she's vulnerable and she's drunk or she's revealing herself, it's really raw and it's really understated. So she runs the gamut. Whereas Gloria Swanson is on this artificial high all the time throughout the film. But in a sense, you could argue that that took more acting because that was not Gloria Swanson's personality at all. Yeah, just building up that ultimate delusion Yeah, that, that yeah. she's in. Billy Wilder is my favorite director, so we could just have a whole other Yay, conversation Billy Wilder. about that. Yeah. Oh my gosh. The one thing too I will mention is... As far as Best Supporting Actress goes, as we talked about, we have both Celeste Holm and Thelma Ritter competing in that category. But the winner was Josephine Hull for Harvey, which is really shocking to me, especially when you consider the fact, I hate to say, Nancy Olsen should have won for Sunset Boulevard because she was also nominated. That was her Oscar to win. If Ann Baxter wasn't going to be bumped down to supporting actress, if she was, then it's Ann Baxter's. Absolutely. (laughs) That's my two cents. Well, Josephine Hull for Harvey. See, that just goes to show that these Oscars people don't know what they're doing. Some of these picks don't stand the test of time. It's kind of a crapshoot. It's a lovely movie, but it's not her movie. I love Harvey. It's a pretty good movie, but I don't even really think of women in Harvey, number one. But when I do, I just think of Peggy Dow. Who even is this? (laughs) Nancy Olsen was great in Sunset Boulevard. She's actually, here's a fun fact about Nancy Olsen. We share a birthday, July the 14th. And when I saw Sunset Boulevard, when I was younger, living in Texas, her character is the one that inspired me to come to Hollywood and try to be a writer. Have you joined Ticklish Biz's Patreon? You should, just like Allie Moore, Amy Hart, Andrew Hoppy, Christine Meyer, Danny, David Floyd, Donna Hill, Jacob Haller, Jonathan Watkins, Kimma, Krista Painter, Mick F., and Rachel Clark. Listen to episodes 48 hours early, receive exclusive membership items, and even guests on an episode. You also get access to bonus features like Based on a True Podcast, Doubled Features, and our new limited series, But Have You Read That? It's all at patreon.com slash ticklishbiz back to the show. And then when I got here, I ended up helping Nancy Olson write her memoirs. I know I got to go to her house in Beverly Hills every week for like better part of a year and really help her just do some editorial work on her memoirs and hear all her stories. And so that was amazing. We have had her on the show and I read her memoir. It's amazing. Just got to throw that back out there. Wonderful. I'm talking about Sunset Boulevard, but (laughs) years ago that I helped her. So I can't believe I still haven't gotten the uh, finished version finally and read it. So I look forward to that. It's really great. She's one of those people, the life that she lived. Speaking of, as far as supporting roles and people who won, 
George Sanders won an Oscar for this. I didn't even remember that. That's so amazing. He really deserved it. He really did. Yeah. And that was one that Joe Mankiewicz had added. The character of Addison DeWitt does not exist in the short story. So that's pure Mankiewicz. And you can see it, right? It's brilliant to add the character. Because when you think about it, that gives Eve a foil or a path to crawl to the top without having to completely destroy the friendships of the four main characters. It's also Addison DeWitt as a vessel to deliver the golden-voiced but acid-tongued orations that Mankiewicz was so good at writing. And also he becomes Eve's punishment or her comeuppets in the end. So yeah, I can see that George Sanders... Of all the people, <laughs> it's funny, kind of ironic that he took the Oscar home. Definitely deserved. We could talk all day about all the women in this film who earned Oscars. He is the one man. I hate to say Gary Merrill is very forgettable in this movie, but I think that's a good thing. That's his purpose. Of course, got a movie that you could definitely spend an hour comparing this to something like The Women. And the tagline of that movie is The Women and It's All About Men, All About Eve. It's really all about the women, which is so great. Yeah. Hugh Marlowe is the most forgettable one to me. Gary Merrill, he has those great speeches he gives to Eve about the theater and what it means and how it's for the people. And you may not like it all and you may not appreciate it all. Why should you? It's for you, but not exclusively. All those great turns of phrases. And I think he delivers them really well. have to have the movie being about Margot needing to find a man in a way. I like the fact that they just give her a normal guy who's not really that spectacular. It feels very genuine. If they had positioned it as she needs to marry the greatest man. Her boyfriend knows she's the star of their relationship. Her boyfriend knows that he's there to support her, which is actually really lovely in a relationship dynamic for this time, for any time of he's not in competition with his girlfriend. He's like, Margot is Margot and I love her. Actually, a really cute, do you see my girlfriend? Look at how great my girlfriend is dynamic throughout the entire movie. And it's very, very charming. He's not in competition with her because he knows he can't win. And I really, really like that dynamic. Yeah, great point. They did fall in love while making this movie. It was the first day, someone said. The first day they met on the set, they fell in love and they ended up getting married. And you can see it in the film That's and it works really well. His character is, as you said, so supportive for a man of that time. And he's not trying to be the breadwinner, which is so great. And I do actually love the scene where they're sitting down with the Richardses. They're telling them that they're going to get married. And she just starts flirtatiously calling him groom. It's just very cute that they have a moment where they give her a moment where she's not obsessing over her age and she gets to act like a little kid in love. And it's just very, very sweet where she's like, I'm over the drama. That's Eve's drama now. This is my time. I don't have to worry about her. I'm Margot Channing. And I have my groom and I just get to be happy for once when I'm not in competition with anyone. It's a really lovely button to put on Margot. And then you get the fallout for the next you know, 15, 20 minutes for Eve, which is great. And I'm sure we'll get into that. But I really like how they end Margot's character of just saying, I don't care about Eve. It's my wedding present that we never talk about her again. Yeah, brilliant. And Betty Davis looks great in that scene. 
Have you noticed? She looks like she's glowing. She really is about to get married. It's sublime to give her that moment. It squashes, hopefully squashes a little bit of that generalization that women are really trying to compete and are so catty because she has been overtaken by Eve. By the end, she understands that she's younger and she's just like, whatever, I'm just going to live my best life. It's a great character development for her compared to how she felt in the beginning, where she was so terrified of the possibility of someone coming and taking her place. Yeah, it's a healthy development. It works out that she wants to marry Bill and retire anyway. So that's her happiness. And it gives Eve her shot, whatever. She doesn't care anymore. And then the character of Karen is so important, too. I don't get the feeling Mankiewicz is saying all actresses are bitchy and conniving and trying to get ahead. That's not at all what the movie is. It's just Eve who's bitchy and conniving and trying to get ahead. Margot and Karen are best friends forever. And even Marilyn is not, as someone pointed out, is much more forthright about it. It's just Eve who's the nasty fly in the ointment. I think of Phoebe, too, though. Well, Phoebe, yes. No, there's always (laughs) going to be an Eve. There's always going to be an Eve, whether it's Phoebe or someone else, but that's the fringe branch of actresses is what the message is. But they're pretty insidious when they're there. When I was learning how to write, they always told me that your main character is the person who changes, whose personality or has some sort of character growth. And that's how you know it's Margot's movie, because Eve doesn't change. She's Eve throughout the entire thing. She's always conniving. She's always looking to get one over on someone and that's her. But Margot is the one character that has a full personality change. And I love the fact that it's called All About Eve and it's not about her at all. And it just makes me so happy. Yeah, that's what's so great. And I hate to bring up the Oscars again. That is what kept her from the supporting actress category, just the title itself being a misnomer as it is. I have to make sure we talk about Celeste Holm too. If I'm not mistaken, she did win an Oscar for Gentleman's Agreement. But aside from that, she's one of the most unsung actresses of the classic era. Because she had so many great leading roles, pretty near leading roles, significant dialogue. You think of movies like Gentleman's Agreement and High Society. But no one talks about her. It is so frustrating. <laughs> Have you seen The Tender Trap? She's really good. Yes, I Trap. love that one too. That's another one of my favorites. And she's not the lead. She's, I guess, second female lead, but she has some great soliloquies there and a really great point of view and perspective to deliver. Talk right. about another movie where she discusses aging, you know, yeah, the pressure right. to get a husband. That movie she is fantastic in. She came along maybe a little too late. If she had been around like in her true ingenue years, I hate to say the way that studios treated women back then, they probably would have given her a little more of a career. But that being said, for the second banana rolls that they gave her, she worked the heck out of them. Well, she was too busy being a big success on Broadway and on the legitimate stage in her youth. So she had that too. Coming into Hollywood, she already had stage success behind her. So I didn't get the feeling that she was fighting for great roles like Betty Davis. Betty Davis, the movies was all she had. And she had to fight tooth and nail to get the great roles. Celeste Holm was someone who strikes me as much more comfortable. Take it or leave it. Speaking of, I did read that Celeste Holm and Betty Davis did not get along on set very famously. It sounds like, of course, you read her side and you read Betty's side, both sides. But it sounds like Celeste is just trying to be polite. (laughs) She's like, good morning. And Betty was just not, she wasn't used to that. She's like, what? What did you just say to me? (laughs) I heard that too. 
that movie, according to everyone, was a situation where everyone got along pretty well. There really weren't a lot of lot of drama and cat fights, but the exception was Betty Davis and Celeste Holm. But even that didn't descend into anything nasty. It was just a personality clash. Maybe Betty felt threatened by her because she wanted to be top dog. They were professionals because it doesn't affect their friendship on screen, which is what counts. They still gave such great performances. I never would have thought that they didn't get along off screen. Right. No, you can't tell. Do we want to talk about the ending? Oh, we have to get into it. It's just so messy and wonderful. Yeah. (laughs) Mm -hmm. Emily, go for it. The wonderful machinations of Addison DeWitt and how they have that wonderful slippery snake whispering to Eve. And it's just so fantastic how he, the perfect character for people who are not in Hollywood, how they think someone in Hollywood is. Does that make sense? People who are not in the industry and have no connection to it or really no affinity for it. They always think there's someone there who's evil and doing something gross and icky. And they just kind of said, let's make it the theater critic because he's not really one of us. He just thinks he is. And I love the way they wrote that character. And so when he starts playing everyone off each other and ruining lives and ruining the plans of the Eve, It's just so deliciously evil. There's only the slightest sexual undercurrent to it because they do make him a fancy man in the way that they used to do in movies of those times. It's just so interesting, but also very true to life. If you have ever had someone on the outside of a friend group who wanted in, and if they can't get in, they'd rather just destroy it. It's so true to life, but also such a wonderful Hollywood fantasy. And it works so well in this movie. There are so many things about this movie that are true to life. Ending feels very noir to me. Sloan, what were you going to say? It is a very dark ending, but it raises a lot of questions. Is Eve looking at a life now of being some sort of sex slave for Addison DeWitt? Or is she just going to be his pawn that he uses and manipulates and controls? It's very dark and it's very creepy and you wonder just exactly what is in store for Eve and it works perfectly. We don't need to know more than that. I'm not suggesting we should. It's better hinted at, but doesn't it get your mind just reeling? Yeah. Ali, anything you want to add? The karmic cycle there is interesting just with Phoebe coming in to do a little bit of an Eve sort of thing, although she seems a little more transparent to me. And to Addison, too. He clocks her right away. Phoebe is the part that fascinates me the most about the ending. I hate to say, I love George Sanders' character, and so much of his dialogue is so fresh and so great. The ending feels a little silent movie villain to me. (laughs) Just from his perspective, obviously icked out by that, as we should. What really fascinates me is the Phoebe aspect of the ending. And it says so much without having to say anything at all. Also, I find Phoebe specifically so innocent about it. She's just like, oh, what's this crown? I'm going to put this on. I'm going to put this cape on. Supposed to interpret that as evil as she is the next Eve. But there's definitely a part of it, too, that she's just putting it on. She's like a teenager. That's a really, really important part of Phoebe being the character because you have Margot who's despairing about having turned 40. And then you have the much younger Eve, who's 24. 
And then you have a literal senior in high school who's coming to take her place. If they had made Phoebe any older, it would have been not as impactful of just saying, oh, here's another woman who's about Eve's age pulling an Eve. The hint that it's this is only going to be happening younger and younger and younger. So women Margot's age have to look out for not just one generation of surreptitious snake. It's now two, three generations of people who are coming to take the thing that you've worked so hard for since you were four years old and made your debut in Midsummer Night's Dream. It's just this really wonderful in in the end of a movie about aging women. And it um, works really well that Mankiewicz has the symbolism of the many mirrors that reflect Phoebe. That's an obvious way of saying there's always going to be someone younger. There's a younger and more beautiful girl is going to be coming to Hollywood every five minutes. It's just a constant cycle. I try to interpret it as open-ended as I can because there's definitely that aspect of me too that thinks she has the potential to become Eve. But she could also lead her life in a different direction. This is her putting on the crown and the cape is her testing it out, so to speak. That's what's really fascinating, too. She could be Eve, but if she plays her cards right, maybe she will lead down the nice path. That's <laughs> what we hope, maybe. But probably not. Probably not. <laughs> There's nothing wrong with ambition. It's a fine line. There's nothing wrong with being right. young and saying, I want to succeed and I'm going to have to be assertive to get that. No one's going to hand it to you. You're going to get trampled on unless you have a little bit of toughness to you and climb in you. But there's that line that Eve crosses. We know Eve crosses it. We don't know about Phoebe yet. It's so wonderful that they leave her in the hands of Eve. Addison DeWitt doesn't enter the apartment. He doesn't enter into this new power structure that's happening. And so we know it is finally all about how Eve is going to treat Phoebe and what's going to happen. Is she going to treat Phoebe as well as Margot treated her? Because Margot doesn't necessarily go into this assuming that Eve is going to be double crossing her or trying to take things that Margot has worked for. But Eve might treat her differently. And in my brain, there's a distinct possibility that Eve turns around and hands Phoebe over to Addison DeWitt and says, this is my ticket to leaving Addison's control and machinations. It's so dark at the end in a way that I don't know if you're entirely prepared for until you have the hotel scene where Addison walks into Eve's hotel room and Eve is telling him she's going to run away with Lloyd. He says, "Uh, uh, uh, no, you're not. And that's the split second where you realize Eve finally realizes the monster that she's gotten in bed with, so to speak. How she's going to free herself from the monster might be Phoebe or she might save this girl. And we just don't know. She's not going to help Phoebe. She's going to try to crush Phoebe. Yes, she is. She can. Or that's interesting point about giving her over to Addison. Yeah, that could happen. But she's not going to help Phoebe because Eve is evil. Just at the very least, regardless of how evil Eve is, she just knows this story. She's seen how this has played out because she's been on the other side of it. At the very least, she's just going to throw her out. Immediately after the credits roll, seat of her pants. (laughs) Bye! The question is, is, do you at any point have sympathy for Eve? Because she's worked herself into an incredibly terrible situation by the end of this movie. And I don't know if I do have any sympathy for her, even though no one deserves to be treated the way that she's being treated towards the end of the film. Yeah, I don't know. It's it's hard to have sympathy for Eve, isn't it? 
It is. It really is. I don't have a lot. She made her bed. She's got a lie in it. That's a testament to Ann Baxter's performance. <laughs> she doesn't play it with the poor me pathos that you might expect. I mean, she feels sorry for herself, but it's this twisted rage that comes out. I love the scene which Addison figures everything out. She's crying and she's upset about the whole situation, but it's very much an I don't want to be caught crying. (laughs) It's hard to have sympathy for Eve. Final thoughts on All About Eve. Emily, do you want to kick us off? It's just one of those wonderful classics for a reason. The issue that we have is a very understandable one as people who are watching this film, what, 70 years later, if not more than that. We are coming at this from a very modern understanding of women in relationships and aging. But my gosh, it's so fascinating as someone who is about 40 watching Margot having these really true to life feelings about growing older and whether or not there's a place for you in the world. And I feel like we're always going to have those issues. We have these issues in entertainment now and in Hollywood now and what kind of roles they're writing for women in their 40s. And it's just such a really almost soothing pat on the back you get from Margot about these feelings in a contrivance in a circumstance that hopefully to God, none of us actually experience in real life. I love this movie. What about you, Sloan? I adore the film as well, of course. One of my all-time favorites. I love, as I've already stated, the dialogue. Of course, I love the story. Just as Emily mentioned, I could echo that all day. The story and women aging and all of those aspects. But my real thoughts on it are from the perspective of the screenplay why don't we have screenplays this good anymore? Even near this good. I wish every aspiring screenwriter in Hollywood were forced to watch All About Eve 10 times in a row (laughs) just until it's in their brains and it soaks in Joseph L. Mankiewicz. And maybe he couldn't happen today after the production code crumbled because his dialogue just sparkles. It's not raw. It's not realistic. It's not gritty. It's not laced with profanity. It's so heightened and it's so delicious. That's my final thought is a bittersweet one. It's lamenting on how come we can't have this anymore, (laughs) but it's great. Thank God we have this and we'll always have all about Eve. That is so true. What about you, Allie? What do you think? It's definitely a movie of its time. It has amazing dialogue, the performances, the commentary on aging. You even see that with the scene where Margot's circling those chocolates and just (laughs) is trying to stop herself from having a piece of chocolate just because she's an actress over 40. You can't do that anymore. And just that scene where she answers the phone in the middle of the night, that's like probably, I feel like the most natural I've seen Betty Davis ever. That was human to me. I believe she just woke up. She's sucking down that cigarette at the end. Like, oh, she's figured out what Eve's doing. Fun fact I learned from watching the DVD commentary was that the Sarah Siddons Award became a real award after this movie. This movie was iconic, even in its time. Well, I know that the award itself that you see in the film went to Robert Osborne. He eventually owned it. I got to see it. They displayed it at one of the classic film festivals, which is exciting. I heard about they created the Sarah Siddons Award and Betty Davis became the recipient at one point. And Anne Baxter, they just had her show up and Betty was livid. (laughs) I can't imagine. I would also be livid. That's the perfect ending to their story. Right? I wish Ann Baxter were a little better remembered in general. He celebrated her centennial last year, and I think it went by without a whole lot of fanfare. 
That being said, I mean, this entire cast is just magnificent. Betty Davis, I can't even say I'm a massive fan, but this movie will make you a massive fan. She's just so great. And she shows, as I mentioned in the beginning, that you can carry a film over 40 and be fantastic. This is the perfect example. And George Sanders, I'm just such a George Sanders super fan. And Marilyn, it's just all too perfect. And the script. We could spend another hour talking about all of the amazing things about All About Eve. But in the meantime, I'd love to hear both from Sloan and Allie, where can fans find and get in touch with you and read about your work? And what events, if any, do you have going on? This is your chance to plug anything and everything. Sloan, you first. You can find me online at sloandeforest.com. It's that simple. And you can read about my events page is under construction. I have been doing events like this lovely podcast and other things, but but you can buy all my books and read about my books and see clips of me discussing my books. And oh, there's just so much to see. So I literally just have to say, I wasn't even, you've been coming out with so many books. I didn't even know about the director's one until I was reading about it today. I am so hyped. I just have to say, I'm so hyped to read them. (laughs) Yes, everyone should go out and get The Essential Directors. It is my latest book and it's doing really well. I'm happy to say, I hope that everyone likes it. So awesome. What about you, Ali? Anything you want to plug? I'm just like a movie fan. If you want to see some really hot takes like that Breathless is one and a half stars and Slightly Dangerous is four stars, you can add me on Letterboxd, Allie 864. <laughs> but I'm just a person, so nothing. That's about. just a great take in and of itself. I <laughs> yeah, I love it. That closes out Ticklish Business for today. You can listen to us on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, or wherever you get podcasts. Reviews matter, so leave us a review on Apple Podcasts. Five stars should do. You can follow the podcast on Twitter at ticklish underscore biz, as well as on Facebook, Instagram, and TikTok at ticklish biz. You can follow me at Classic Film Geek on Twitter. Emily, where can fans find and get in touch with you? I am across all social media platforms at the handle Ms. Emily Edwards. That's MS, Emily, normal, Edwards, normal. There we go. Our Patreon helps keep the lights on over at Ticklish Biz HQ and gives us the chance to do new content like our new But Have You Read the Book series. So consider helping us over at patreon.com slash ticklishbiz. And don't forget to order both Kristen and Emily's books. We'll be right back with a new episode in two weeks. See you then.